seven of our mark series and today we are going to first be covering the final two controversies in this set of five remember a few weeks ago i described to you that mark gives us five consecutive um, episodes incidences where jesus pits himself against the religious leaders and through these uh, show that he was bringing a different kingdom a different mission than what was expected uh, just as a bit of a reminder the first was the forgiveness and healing of the paralyzed man and then uh, we moved on to the calling of Levi who was a tax collector and then Jesus having a meal with his friends and finally uh, the third controversy that Pastor Beck covered last week was about fasting and why his disciples didn't fast and the fourth is found in Mark chapter 2 verses 23 to 28 so let's read this one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as he, his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Why the Pharisees were saying this is unlawful? Them simply picking the heads of grain uh, on the Sabbath is because in Exodus 34 verse 21, it says explicitly that no work is to be done on the Sabbath. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. So these men picking this grain, the Pharisees considered as work. In fact, a lot of the laws and regulations that they made around the Sabbath was to describe what is work and what isn't work. Picking heads of grain with your hand, the Pharisees were saying it is work and therefore is unlawful. So Jesus answers uh, the Pharisees, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus was bringing a correction to a misinterpretation of scripture. What the Pharisees had done is that they had so tried to protect the Sabbath that they forgot what the Sabbath is all about. They were more concerned with protecting the Sabbath than to understand the heart of what God was trying to achieve. And so Jesus brings in this story of King David when he was on the run, when he was a fugitive, he went into the temple because he and his men were hungry and the high priest gave them this bread, the show bread that was consecrated and only for the priest to eat. But yet David and his men ate and there was no issue with it. God had no issue with him having need breaking what was lawful, uh, what, what was the law that this was only for the priest uh, in order to fulfill this need. Jesus was therefore saying that the Sabbath isn't about you not finding what you need. In fact, when we kind of think about this, when Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, we have to understand that God instituted the Sabbath, the seventh day every week, for you to rest. There should be a day a week where we find rest. That's the whole point of the Sabbath, to stop work in order to refresh, in order to recharge, in order to connect with God. 
See, Jesus wasn't saying that the Sabbath was bad. He was saying that to stop people, stop his disciples from being able to eat when they had need for food was a gross misunderstanding of what the Sabbath is about. So here's something for you to consider. If Jesus didn't say to get rid of the Sabbath and to understand that the Sabbath is meant to bring us uh, life as part of God's design, how are you practicing the Sabbath? How are you understanding this whole uh, concept of having a day a week to rest, to connect with God, to, to put aside, particularly to connect with God? Are you practicing the Sabbath in your life? Uh, studies have shown that when we consume ourselves with work all the time, it is unhealthy for us. We need to have this break and we need to connect with the divine in our lives in order to recharge, in order to refresh ourselves. This is not to make the Sabbath a legalistic um, sacred thing um, that, that takes away uh, what we need and what we are going through. But it's a combination of our need, a combination of God's design for us that we have the Sabbath. Now, I, I want to move on to the fifth and final controversy because it also has to do with the Sabbath. And I will speak a little bit more about this whole idea of what Jesus was talking about with the Sabbath. And so we uh, uh, finally hit Mark chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the first six verses. And this is what it says. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This episode, as I mentioned, brings up the Sabbath one more time. And the religious leaders already knew that Jesus had a different perspective of the Sabbath. They, they were like, no, you're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to do anything. It, uh, and, and it was extremely restrictive, their idea of the Sabbath. But here, Jesus was already showing that he was bringing in a different culture, a different understanding about the Sabbath. And so they found him in the synagogue, or they followed him to the synagogue on the, on the Sabbath. They saw that there was a man in need with a shriveled hand, and they were watching to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, which they would then take as he is working on the Sabbath, and therefore he is breaking the law. That's what this episode is all about. How crazy that they were so opposed to Jesus that they would try to convict him of breaking the law because he did something good. How crazy is it that, that people want to take down Jesus and they use the good that he's doing and twist it and say that it's unlawful. And so Jesus actually confronts them and says, what is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, 
He basically says that if I don't heal this man, I am doing evil. Do we have such a concept of good and evil in our life that when we don't do good is actually the same as doing evil? Uh, and, and, and Jesus continues to say as well to save life or to kill. Now, that's a really interesting little statement because uh, this whole idea of a shriveled hand actually has uh, a deeper picture in the Old Testament. In particular, we look at 1 Kings chapter 13. And King Jeroboam was a man who uh, was setting up idol worship in Israel. And he had basically um, gone against the law of God in terms of how to sacrifice to God. And basically, a man of God came, confronted him about it. He reached out his hand uh, to say, grab this man, kill him. And when he stretched out his hand, the Bible tells us that God's judgment came on him and his hand was shriveled. The word for shriveled means dried up, uh, to have the life sucked out of it. This was basically uh, God's judgment um, and basically a shriveled hand represents death. Now, in the 1 Kings 13 account, King Jeroboam then asked the man of God who spoke this judgment on him um, and says, please pray for me that I might have healing. And the man of God actually prays for him. He finds healing and his hand is restored. And so this picture then that we have of this man in the synagogue with a shriveled hand. He wasn't even asking uh, for Jesus to heal him. He was simply there. He was maybe observing Jesus because Jesus had uh, a lot of fame at that point. His teaching, uh, his signs, his wonders had spread. And people were there gathered listening to him. And he was simply there. <coughs> Excuse me. And basically, Jesus pulls him out of the crowd because he knows that people are watching what he's going to do. And he says, is it lawful to save a life or to kill? He was basically referring to the fact that the shriveledness represents death. And so what Jesus was saying, in effect, is that when he comes and he brings healing, he is bringing life. The Sabbath is meant to bring life. The Sabbath is meant to bring restoration. God's heart for us in instituting the Sabbath is that we might experience the fullness of life. But here we see that the religious leaders have so walked away from God's heart that they would have preferred for this man to walk on by through the Sabbath with death holding on to him. We need to understand that Jesus says that he is the fulfillment of the law. In Matthew 5 verse 17, it says, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Jesus standing in the synagogue with this man pulls him out to make this a public declaration of what he is here to do. He says, is it better, is it lawful to do good or evil, to save a life or to kill? And he ends up, because there's no response, there is this this deep sadness and the stubbornness of everyone's heart, but he continues to heal. But he continues to bring restoration to those who need restoration. 
How do you understand God's heart? Do you see the Bible as a whole bunch of restrictions? Do you see God as though he's demanding you to live up to a certain ceremonial standard, a religious standard for you to be accepted and for you to receive life? Or do you understand that everything that God does is to bring life, is to bring restoration and to bring hope? Do you see what God is asking you to do or what God is doing as a chore? Are you seeing it as an inconvenience? Are you seeing it as though it is it's just so illogical to you in what you are trying to do? Well, perhaps if you listen in, if you understand God's heart, everything that he's doing is intended to bring life to you. See, a really interesting note at the end of this passage is that the Pharisees who are the religious leaders who want to keep um, uh, this, this uh, the law-abiding nature of um, the, the Israelites, uh, they gang up with a group of people called the Herodians to plot and to kill Jesus. The Herodians are people who supported a man named King, da- uh, King Herod. And King Herod is not a good man. He is not a religious man. He um, basically is quite an evil person. He is, uh, the Herodians are a political group that wanted to keep power. The religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they are enemies. They have different missions. They have different aims. And what we see is that Jesus, in bringing life, is challenging both of these groups. And these groups come together in order to try to kill Jesus. What I want to help you understand through this is is that when we say that Jesus brings life, it isn't life the way that we understand it. In fact, it probably kind of cuts across some of our personal uh, uh, ideas, our, our personal desires, our personal wants, our personal what we see as needs. And sometimes what Jesus does is that he brings this divisiveness. In fact, Jesus says himself, I have come to divide. And what is he dividing? He's, he, he, he kind of sifts through and helps us to understand what is in the content of our hearts. And the contents of the Pharisees' hearts and the Herodians' hearts were actually the same, to keep power. And that stood in contrast to what Jesus was trying to do, which is to empower people, to bring life to people. Think about this. Just look at social media when even something vaguely about Christianity pops up. You will see hatred spewing for people. Jesus is divisive. Mention that you are a Christian in your workplace or your schools. Uh, there might be secular environments. And see what kind of reaction you get when you say that you're a Christian, that you go to church. They're like, why are you doing something like that? Why would you choose to do something like that? Jesus divides. What we need to understand as Christians or what we need to try to develop our understanding around is that Jesus brings life. Are you going to choose life? Are you for him or against him? The Pharisees in these five controversies, they they were seeing Jesus do good. They were seeing Jesus do amazing things, but they chose to stand against him because he didn't fit their mold. He didn't fit their understanding of what life was about. So even though Jesus brings life, they try to kill him. I do want to cover the next couple of sections in Mark as well. I'm going to keep reading and I'm going to try to tie this all together. In Mark 3, 17 and 19, this is what it says. 
Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. One thing that I just want to point out is that some of those people groups I mentioned are traditionally enemies of the Jews. Jesus welcomes them. He actually allows them to be part of the crowd. I'm going to keep reading. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. Continuing on in verse 13, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave, um, to them he gave the name Boanerges, pardon my pronunciation, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So after we find the five controversies and, and, and Jesus bringing in kingdom culture, uh, we, we find that the crowds actually are still so taken by this man who can perform signs and wonders. And so they continue to gather to him. So much so that what Jesus did is that he got his disciples to find a boat and he pushed off a little bit so that there would be a little bit of separation. One of the things that I want to point out is that as much as people are drawn by the signs and wonders that our God can and continues to perform, the teaching of Jesus is still central to his ministry. It, it, the, the, the Bible tells us that signs and wonders accompany the preaching of the word. And so Jesus wanted to still be given the space to continue to teach. The kingdom that he brings is not just about magic shows. It actually is about teaching that convicts and, and brings about a transformation. Jesus wants to heal. He wants to bring life. Uh, he wants to bring restoration to our physical bodies, uh, our, our soul as well. But is important that he continues to teach but then here we see an interest, interesting juxtaposition or a comparison passage when uh, sometimes what bible writers do is that they put two stories next to each other to show us a little bit of contrast to bring about a certain idea a certain picture a certain message and so we see that the crowds came to jesus they crowded jesus um, so much so that he needed to find some space to continue to live out his mission and then the very next passage it says that jesus went up on a mountainside, a secluded place, and called to him those he wanted. These became the 12 disciples. The number 12 is very important. It's very symbolic. Uh, there were 12 tribes of Israel, and this new 12 disciples who would later become the 12 apostles represent the new Israel, the, the new covenant people that God wants to work through. And so there is a difference between people that seek Jesus out and crowd Jesus and those that he calls to himself. There's a difference between being a person of the crowd and a person uh, that is a disciple. 
And, 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 and this is something that I want to leave with you today. As we have dis, uh, discovered and explored the controversies and the kingdom that, that Jesus brings, it is so easy to be caught up in all the, the bells and the whistles, all, all the fancy, all the, the magical uh, uh, things that God is able to do. But it's not enough just to desire those things. It is a whole other thing to actually become a disciple, to become one that knows God and is truly known by God as well. God desires, Jesus desires us to be disciples. Jesus desires us to be those uh, that come close to him in this really deep way. And what happens is that disciples aren't just coming to Jesus, they are also being sent out by Jesus. They have come to him, they have experienced life, they have listened to his teaching. And because of that, he empowers them and sends them out so that they can continue to work wherever they are. Basically, let me put it this way. Are you simply coming to God in spectator mode or are you also on mission? You see, I need healing. Yes, I need to receive life from Jesus. Yes, I need to listen to the teaching that Jesus gives to me. Yes, I need to be close to Jesus. But at this very same time, I am also called to go from Jesus carrying the authority that he has given to me into my family, into my uh, friendship circles, into my workplace, into uh, my, my, my places of education. Wherever I go, I am meant to be sent by Jesus. That is a key difference between a crowd person and a disciple. The crowd has come to receive and to receive alone. A disciple has come to receive and then to be sent out. My prayer is that you understand that God loves you deeply, that Jesus healed the crowds. He performed wonders and signs and, and met the needs of the crowd, but only a few became disciples. My prayer is that as a church that we step away from, from crowd type Christianity and we become disciples of Christ, where, where, where Christ isn't just someone we come to when we have needs, but we actually are listening to the mission, that we're listening to the calling that He is placing on our lives to go into the whole world and to make disciples of all nations. As we discussed earlier, Jesus divides. The five controversies show that when He comes on earth, He challenges the status quo. He challenges our understanding of what the kingdom is like. And I hope that this, this message challenges certain aspects of us and, and this whole series challenges how we see Jesus, his mission and what he is doing. And I hope that even though there's a challenge, there is this something, there's this conviction that Jesus truly has life. And I'm going to follow him as a disciple and not just as a crowd person. My prayer is that there isn't this sitting on a fence when it comes to Jesus where, oh, I'll take this and I'll take that, but I won't take that. But as a sense, I will wholly follow Jesus. And if he challenges and if he convicts, I'm going to change because Jesus brings life. 
Can I just pray for you? Can I pray that there's this desire to follow Jesus wholeheartedly? Can I pray that, that you had the courage uh, to forsake the things of this world in order to fully follow Jesus? Uh, can I pray that you will have a greater sense of your mission and your call that Jesus issues out to you? Come, let's pray together um, right now. Dear Jesus, I thank you that that is clear with you that there is a divide that takes place. We are meant to live differently, uh, to be separate from this world. But yet at the same time, you're also calling us to, uh, to, to be a part of this world in order to bring your kingdom culture, in order to bring your, uh, your heart, your, uh, your life to people. And I pray that every person who is watching these messages would have a desire not to just be part of the crowd, but to truly be disciples, to allow you to, uh, to, to search us, to teach us, to convict us, and to give us meaning for our life and purpose for our steps, God. I pray that we will be drawn closer to you and we'll also be sent out uh, as you sent your disciples out with an empowerment, with the authority to bring kingdom culture wherever we go. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for this message. And stick on, continuing on with us. Make sure you are part of the lift group so that you can dive deeper and explore the themes and the ideas that we spoke about today. Thanks so much, everyone. Mm-hmm.